Hi. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Oh, no. <laughs> you stole my line. <laughs> Welcome back to the Wine About Birth podcast. We are three birth professionals. And best friends. And we're here to talk about what it's really like to live in the world of birth. It's not all glitter and rainbows. Or as we like to say, it's a lot more shit than giggles. I'm Kim Haynes, midwife at a busy birth center and small home birth practice. And thanks to this being the second time we've recorded today, I think I might be day drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also that you drink Nicole's other mimosa because she couldn't handle the third one. So. <laughs> and here I'm Meredith and I'm a midwife and I work at the same home birth practice as Kim and Jess. And I'm Jess McKee. I'm a doula for clients in and out of the hospital and also a birth assistant with you guys at our out-of-hospital practice. And today, we also have a guest. Who are you, guest? I am Nicole, and I am not a birth worker, but I love birth workers, and I've had a baby once, and I said That totally qualifies you. Yeah, yeah. I could do it. I'm just kidding. I can't do it. <laughs> also, can we talk about how much more assertive she is right now? She's grabbing this mic out of my hand like, give that to me. So, it's my turn to talk. So I'm going to say that I totally deserve to have my lines stolen this time because we just recorded half of this episode, which is a really heavy episode anyway. And um, and then I realized that it wasn't recording the whole time. So I, and you check, like my favorite part is I was like, I was like, wow, she looks such a good job. She keeps checking it. And it's great because this happens sometimes. And I'm so proud of her for staying on top of it. And just we, kidding. And then we took our break and I went to like check on it. And I was like, swell. This is why we drink when we record. When we don't drink, problems happen. Or also, we could redo that whole first half again for, <laughs> for funsies. shits and giggles. It was just practice. Just Nicole practice. just confirmed that this is Jess's podcast because she thought she took Meredith's line. And she was like, do to do And then she goes, oh my God, that was Jess's line. <laughs> Oh, yeah. what? When it was my line, she just tickled me. But when it's <laughs> Jess's, she panicked. You, I'm so, so sorry, Jess. So it's your podcast, you as we think, said before. You, you said that, that multiple the way times. she panicked, that I'm actually confrontational in life, which no, I'm she's not. she's so sweet. She's so sweet. <laughs> so today, we it's springtime again, which is our power season. Um, so we are recording out on the front porch. We're already sunburnt. We've I been doing really like fall. We've been doing this for hours. <laughs> All right. Well, this is my podcast, so your opinion doesn't count. Um, True. But we just want to warn everybody that the kids are out and about. They're on the go-kart. They're going to stop and they're going to say things to us. So you might hear some weird noises in the background once again during this episode. Sorry, not Sorry. Not they just love that damn go-kart so much. I mean, it's probably the best thing you've ever bought, honestly. Our daughters are wearing stretchy pants and sports bras. And earlier, Jess just decided to drop trow and sit in her panties on my cistern. Yeah. This one might not go smoothly because we're all sunburned except for Jess now. I was so. sunbathing. I was sunbathing. Um, yeah. Hey, do you remember that time that we rode the go-kart together and I told you it would be funny because I was driving if you tried to feed me beer? and then you Bitch, that was me. That was oh, Meredith. <laughs> Uh, how many beers? I tried to kill you. I had. I tried to kill you. I okay. had a near death experience. I couldn't remember it. For the record, I would never try to kill you. Anyway, <laughs> so I told Meredith to try and pour the beer down my throat while I was driving, but she kept going, and I couldn't tell her to stop. So then I don't I, actually think it was that long. So then I inhaled it, and <laughs> as I was so driving, I got it. yeah, I got I the like, video. 
threw oh, it thank up, God slash, she did not spit rat. it out. Yeah, so I was video. I was like, this won't go well. So I videoed, and then all of a sudden she's like, <laughs> she toughed it out really well. It was I amazing. Have to say. She kept driving. It was like very slow, but it was well done. So, despite all of that glee, we just yeah, despite the silliness. We're actually talking about a really serious topic today, um, and this is actually the first in a series of about loss. Um, so today we're talking about um, miscarriage in particular and early losses, um, and we decided to break it up into multiple episodes because it was just way too much information to cover in one episode. And we were trying to figure out how to split it up because we didn't want to implicate that one was... was more serious or harder to get through than the other, but it just wasn't enough time considering mm-hmm. that our head person didn't record the first hour and a half that we True just She's just going to keep plugging that in. True so, story. Yeah. Because the research I did about that. the research and information around early and late loss is really different. Like our experiences of them are, can be very similar, but in terms mm-hmm. of information that we want to provide, like it was worth breaking them up into two different sections. Right. And despite our sense of humor that we approach everything with, we are not like trying to not validate people's feelings or trying to make light of the subject. But a sense of humor is how we approach everything in the world, despite how messed up it is. Yeah. Or morose the subject. And, and so it's far people like our approach. I feel like generally we get pretty good responses from people. Nicole's here. I am here. Nicole hasn't given up on us. No, she and hasn't. And it's also, we find like Mary Poppins says a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So for the people that need to learn or want to learn how to support people going through loss or the people who are going through loss who can use this information, it's a lot easier to listen to if it's not boring. So, so why don't we let our expert introduce herself yeah, and so tell us why she's here. Thanks for doing my job, Kim. No problem. You keep rambling, so I'm going to have to start reeling you in. All right. I don't know how that's happening because you're not drinking. Oh, that's why. That's probably why. That's why it's happening. Now you're doing it. Okay, so Nicole, introduce yourself and tell us why you are our guest for this episode. So my name is Nicole. Um, I have been, I guess, technically pregnant five times and have a one and a half year old. We had two losses prior to his birth and two since. So um, that is why I'm here. I'm here to help shed some light on some of the topic and Mm -hmm. share my personal experience, which, again, is different for everyone. Yeah. And so, like, we want to reiterate that we know that every loss is different and people experience it differently. But we also want this to be a place for people to be able to come that need to um, make sense of or get support through their loss. But we also want this to be a place where people can learn how to help support people who are going through loss because we reached out um, for people to share their experiences and we got sent several different emails and comments and there was very common threads that ran through each of them of this helped me or this didn't help me and these are things that really made it worse and so we want to use this space to help the people going through loss by also helping other people to help them. We want to make a taboo topic, not taboo. And I do feel like there is a growing conversation happening, but it's not nearly talked about enough considering it happens as often as it does. And yeah, for me, I mean, I've been a birth worker for 15 years and, and half of the responses that we got, I have would never have thought about what they said. So it just goes to show like I can be as sensitive and, uh, and try to be as helpful as possible, but I've never been through a miscarriage. So these women are saying things to me and I'm like, 
Wow, I never would have thought of that. So that's why we have Nicole. Yeah. And even after today's episode, we still have more episodes on loss coming up. So if you have a different story or something that you want to share, still feel free to like email us at windaboutbirth at gmail.com, comment on one of our social media posts, send us a direct message through our social media because we still want to hear your story and the way that... Um, the ways that you have or haven't coped with your loss yeah so to get this whole thing started um let's talk let's define miscarriage and what we are actually talking about in today's episode so when i was looking up um statistics i just stuck with acog like i usually do and nhs and they Define it as everyone else does up to 12 weeks. So from 1 to 12 weeks would be considered an early loss or early miscarriage. But we were talking how in society a lot of times it's up to 20 weeks. So there's kind of like a gray area with that. So most miscarriages do occur within the first trimester. So I think 13 to 20 would, would be late loss. But it's still con- it's is still considered a miscarriage, right? But I think we're going to cover that more in our later loss episode because there's a lot of different things to consider when it comes to losses, right? Where the baby is that developed, not that they're more serious or harder or easier to deal with, or the not that they're harder, and that early miscarriages can be just as hard, but just that it's different. Um, And we were talking about how like even 20 to 24 weeks is such a great area too, because at that point you're trying to determine viability Yeah. and 24 is like accepted viability, but it is being shown that as early as 20 weeks, there can be a viable pregnancy. It's getting early and earlier, the babies that they're able to save through the um, technology that we have today. Um, But let's go into, because this is one of the things that I feel like makes people feel so isolated, is that a lot of people don't realize how often this really happens, because for a lot of reasons, like, there's so many people who, because it is kind of taboo, don't talk about it. And so a lot of times we don't realize how many people around us have experienced early loss. Um, But I feel like it can feel less isolating if you realize that you're not some enigma if you've lost a baby or more than one baby early in your pregnancy um and I feel like it can make it easier to reach out for support as well well I think like we were talking about before there's so many subjects such as pregnancy loss pregnancy in general birth all of those things we just don't talk about it and we need to talk about it yeah um And I feel like there's such a societal norm that we are made to believe that we don't talk about or celebrate pregnancies that don't go beyond the first trimester. So make it to 12 weeks. And that leaves a very lonely space within the first trimester. If, you know, you do even just get a positive pregnancy test and, you know, you don't have the support or the, the space to talk about it because nobody does. And I think that because I do know a lot of people who prefer to not share their pregnancy until their past 12 weeks when they feel like they're out of most of our clients do that i'm like oh have you have you celebrated and they're like no no we're waiting until 12 weeks and i'm like oh and i've seen that go both ways just to like put something out there for people to to think about because i've seen people who did that and who experienced a loss and then they did feel very isolated in their loss because everybody around them did not know yes. that they were experiencing a loss. And so they felt like they couldn't grieve or they had to act a certain way in front of people when they were really having a hard time. Yeah. But then there's other people who really like to grieve privately yeah. and they wouldn't want other people knowing. So it's such a personal mm-hmm 
space to take into account. But like we said, it does also make the subject seem more hush-hush, like it's something that we can't talk about, um, which I totally support for people who who feel that way, which is why we're doing this podcast for people who do want to hear about the other people who yeah. have experienced losses. If you would have asked me a couple of years ago to talk about this topic, the answer would have absolutely been no. But I think that having experienced it in so many different ways and so many different times, um, I just see the importance of, you know, uh, if, if I do feel comfortable talking about and sharing my stories that it's, it's important to do that. Um, I didn't feel comfortable talking about it until after we were almost halfway through our pregnancy with our son, who is now a year and a half old. Um, the first two losses that we had, we didn't even tell family about, uh, maybe our parents and that was, that was it. Uh, but we had family members constantly asking us, when are you guys going to have babies? And every oh single time, you know, obviously their intentions aren't ill. They're, they're excited mm-hmm. for us and they want us to have kids. And we wanted that too. But unfortunately, we were trying to do that mm-hmm. and we weren't being successful. So, well, I mean, it's not that we weren't being successful. It's just it wasn't in the cards at the time. You were experiencing yeah. loss. Someone um, else had pointed that out. That was a common theme that ran through that made it hard for people who were experiencing loss when other people didn't know about it was how hard it was when people would ask that question. Um, But we'll talk a little bit more about that in the second half. So can I, Um, at at what point did it click in your mind where at first you were like, this is private. I don't want to talk about it. Absolutely not. I don't want to be a part of that. But, But then suddenly you realized... Like, when did you realize, wait, maybe we do need to talk about this? Um, I think when, I don't want to say like the longer it went on, but you know, it just became more normal in our life and it, it just kept screaming at us like, okay, we need to do something about this. We need to talk about this because the questions continue to come up, you know? I mean, as soon as you get married or as soon as you start, you know, um, being in a serious relationship with somebody, the questions start coming. When are you guys going to have kids? And, you know, then after you have a kid, when are you going to have another one? And right. As you're pushing yes, your exactly, baby out. Exactly. So it just came to the point to where I started getting frustrated with the topic and with people. I don't, I don't want to say intruding on our personal life because again, the intentions weren't ill. They, they meant well by them, but I got to the point to where my response was, whenever um, whenever we're blessed with the opportunity to be parents, we will be. So it kind of left a gray area for them, like, okay, stop asking, because yeah. this is something that we're trying for without me taking, I, I feel like I was too worried about other people's feelings and hurting their feelings by being like, well, we've actually experienced two losses. Yeah. Um, and instead of being that direct, I just started telling them whenever we're blessed with the opportunity. So... Oh, that's yeah. so hard. Yeah. Do you know, I think about times I've actually had the audacity to say to someone before, before I was a birth worker, before any thought process, someone would say, no, we don't have kids. And I would, I would say things like, wow, you're so lucky or gosh, you must sleep in all the time. How nice for you. And now like at being a birth worker, I'm like, you are an asshole. No, like, even I, I had no that. idea, I but too. still, you know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where we're not conditioned to think that way until it's somehow impacted our personal life. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that before, as we get started, we need to talk a little bit more about 
how often this actually happens because like I said it can help take some of the stigma away so what was some of the research so if you're less than 30 one in 10 pregnancies that you that you know about that you get a positive pregnancy for pregnancy test for will end with a loss Mm -hmm. and those are just the ones that we know about I learned years ago that up to three out of four conceived um, pregnancies won't actually be viable but I don't know how we could possibly know that without you know some sort of early testing but one out of ten less than 30 30 to 40 is one out of three Mm -hmm. and then if you are um, in your 40s it could be over 50 percent of conceived um eggs i'm gonna so it's a lot more common than we realize yeah so even if you don't think that you know somebody who's experienced a loss like the chances are that you do and it's just not something that they've shared with the public um but i also wanted to before we go into some of your stories about your losses go over some of the different kinds of early loss because i've noticed that People tend to put more weight on some early losses than other early losses. Um, so there's like miscarriages that are like classic miscarriages that people usually think of where you get pregnant, you have a positive pregnancy test. Maybe you go get an early ultrasound and you see a viable fetus and a heartbeat and everything looks great. And then you're having symptoms and then all of a sudden you stop having symptoms or you start spotting and you go back and you get it checked out and it's like, oh, there's no more heartbeat anymore. or The baby is not as big as it should have been for gestational age. And then making that decision on how to proceed with your pregnancy ending. And we were talking earlier about how your total like mindset shifts, Mm -hmm. right? Like when you get a positive pregnancy test. So for a lot of these like types of miscarriages we're going to be talking or losses that we're going to be talking about, you do have a positive pregnancy test. Yes. So no matter whether it's a, a miscarriage or if it's a chemical pregnancy or if it's a molar pregnancy, you're getting a positive pregnancy test for all of these. And that is such a defining moment for so many people where they shift gears into being pregnant. And it's like, some people try to say like, well, it wasn't, you didn't have a viable fetus. So like yeah. it wasn't a real pregnancy, but like the second you get a positive test, your brain starts shifting into motion to of a pregnancy. Yeah. And I think that's like where a lot of that like loss and disconnect comes from for people who are trying to process. And I think that you were saying the first time we recorded this episode, Nicole, <laughs> that, that you failed to record. Yes. Yes. That that can actually even happen, even if you weren't actually pregnant and we're going to do an episode about like infertility but I've also known people who thought that they were pregnant and like their period was late and they're like thinking they have symptoms and they keep getting negative pregnancy tests so it's like no matter how early in your pregnancy you lost that baby you still or even if it wasn't a baby you Mm -hmm. still feel grief absolutely um I think that even, I mean, just personally experiencing this, like, I think that if you want to get pregnant and you're trying mm-hmm. to get pregnant every month that goes by, you know, you're tracking your cycle, you're, yep. you're tra- actively trying to conceive and you don't, it's almost like a loss. Like, and, and even though it's not like, I'm not considering that, you know, in my numbers or anything, but it's still difficult. And then the second that you get a positive at home pregnancy test, 
even if you know it, it was only a week, only a week I'm saying that with quotations yeah um or you know it was only within the first trimester it's still it's still tough and emotionally it's it's a lot to go through yeah. um not even talking about the physical side of things yeah so some of those pregnancies and so there's something called a chemical pregnancy and that's basically um, when you have met your body has made the hormones of pregnancy, you start making HCG. I hate you that get term. a positive pregnancy. I know it's a horrible it's term. It's a hormonal, like because a, what chemicals? Hormonal. It's hormones. I mean, technically hormones I mean, are and chemicals, it is, but it's just it's like still a, a pregnancy. You still release an egg. An egg still got fertilized, and your body recognized it as a pregnancy and released and all the hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, and implantation even occurs. Um, it's just that the egg never develops. There's never a heartbeat. Not that it's. So chemical pregnancies usually like you have a positive pregnancy test, but then you within the first week or two have lost. Yeah. Lost the baby. Um, and like a lot of the, those are the ones that a lot of times you don't un- really, those are the, we were talking earlier, I don't know if it was in this recording, but how we were saying like, sometimes you don't even know you had a miscarriage. Yes. Like you don't have any symptoms, you don't have any bleeding. So you think you're just like going back into your normal cycle. Yeah. So you might not even realize you were pregnant. Um, and so that's those chemical pregnancies that happen really, really soon after you yeah. have your positive pregnancy test. And then there's also something, um, called a molar pregnancy, which I actually had a client have a molar pregnancy in the last year, um, which basically what happens is you, the, um, with a molar pregnancy, you develop a non-cancerous tumor in your uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do get a positive pregnancy test. Um, you don't normally have any fetal pull or heart rate. Yeah. So, um, it is, again, it's like the, it's, it's very not confusing. Actually, it's not actually a, preg- a, a, a technical baby. Yeah. But, right. um, but you still have a positive pregnancy test. You have symptoms. So again, like that emotional response begins where find, you are defining yourself as like a pregnant person. And then finding out that you are not in fact going to have a baby and then you still also have to some have to go through that pregnancy ending even though it was mm-hmm. a molar pregnancy yeah and like sometimes my client had to have a dnc with it so like sometimes the response to it is actually really traumatic yeah. and like you have to go through some really serious interventions in order to resolve a molar pregnancy because it can you have to make sure that all mm-hmm. of the matter in your womb is removed safely um and so it is it's a lot like not only are you having to accept that you're not pregnant but you then still have to go through this like really horrific treatment to to and it's just yeah it was awful so so then a blighted ovum is when the fertilized egg implants in the uterus but it doesn't develop into an embryo so they're saying here that it's actually 50 percent of the reason so a lot of the chemical pregnancies, like you were saying, mm-hmm. like is that the same thing? It could be part of it. It could be the same, yeah. similar. Mm-hmm. Oh, so also like we were talking, like I wanted to add too, like 50 to 75% of what we define as miscarriages are actually those, what they consider chemical pregnancies. So they're really, really common. Yeah. And so then the last one we were going to talk about is a tubal pregnancy. And those are super hard too, because a tubal pregnancy is when you actually, a, an egg gets fertilized um, it, but it implants in your, uh, fallopian tube instead of in your uterus. Um, so that could usually is a viable baby, a viable egg, viable fetus, but it cannot safely grow inside your fallopian tube. So if it continued to develop your fallopian tube or rupture and 
So it's an emergent the, situation. And the fetus would pass. Yeah, the fetus would pass and it would cause an emergency for the mother as well. So that's a whole other like, because then you have to go get that egg removed knowing uh, it's a, you know, yeah, that's it is really a viable hard. egg. Yeah. And so the reason why we go over all these different kinds is because, like I said, some people will be like, oh, it was just a chemical pregnancy. It wasn't real. It wasn't a real um, baby. So it was a molar pregnancy. Yeah. Just, or for, ovum. just forget that it happened and you can try again. Um, but for those people, for people out here listening, like everyone going or people that want support, they still need support through it every all those things and they will go through grief um at the thought of thinking they're going to have a baby and then now they're not going to have a baby so nicole um do you want to talk a little bit about your different experiences sure um so when my husband and I decided that we were going to start trying to have a baby, it took us six months each time um, to get pregnant, which, of course, I think that a lot of factors can can play into that. But it's deemed as perfectly normal to take that long um, to get pregnant, uh, which so, again, very, very hard to wait six months when you're trying to get yeah. pregnant. And then we got pregnant the first time, um, lost that pregnancy just after seven weeks. And the way that I would describe it physically is like a, a heavy period. Mm-hmm. Um, but emotionally, it was um, I mean, of course, that was devastating, right? You know, we had finally gotten over the hump and we thought, okay, we, we checked that box onto the next one. Now we like move into parenthood, right? Like pregnancy and all that. Um, and then the next time we got pregnant, it was another six months. Um, and we lost that pregnancy even earlier. I think it was just after five weeks. Um, still emotionally very, uh, trying because we're like, okay, we, I guess paid our debts in a way, right? Like we, we checked the box again for, um, you know, this, I guess, statistically being normal and having uh, a pregnancy loss. It's like, Um, why is it happening? Exactly. So then at that point, it was like, it's definitely not going to happen again. So we told our family and friends, like literally as soon as we got a positive test, like, oh my gosh, gosh, we're pregnant again. Um, And then unfortunately, again, lost that one. Um, And then we got to the point to where we got pregnant with our son, who we did carry to term, and he's a year and a half old now. But honestly, I emotionally wasn't even ready to... I guess, uh, bond with, with him and that pregnancy and really thrive in it until probably almost halfway along, just because I had only known loss with, um, you know, like loving the thought of having a child. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it definitely took a while. And I don't think that that would have been the case had we not had a couple of losses. Um, and then can I ask you, so when you told all of your friends like right away the second time mm-hmm. and and then you had your pregnancy the third time, do you feel like you would have changed anything with either the first pregnancy or the second? Like, I wish I'd have told more people the first time so that we could have more support in that loss. Or I wish I have told I had told less people the mm-hmm. second time. Like, do you think about yeah looking back on that? Um, I mean, I... 
I think that it's always that woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what what we would have done. We would have wondered if we should have done, done it differently. And of course, you know, there are more than two people going through this. Like our family went through it as well. But specifically, my husband and I, we both, you know, grieved those losses in different ways. And I personally didn't even want to announce our pregnancy with our son. Um, and he's the one and he's not a, he's not a social media guy or anything like that, but he's the one that announced the pregnancy on social media because he said that he didn't want to wait anymore. This is something that should be celebrated. And I was just personally struggling a lot with even, um, wanting to tell anyone, um, not because I didn't want the support because that was one positive of telling people we had more people checking in on us and saying, you know, like we're thinking of you and, you know, we're sorry to hear what you're going through. Um, but you know, the more people that know, the more commentary. And sometimes that's just, it's helpful, but not helpful at the same it's time. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I feel like what I hear you saying is that, um, just like when you're going through any loss or any grief, that's so hard that you build up protection around your oh, heart yeah. to feeling that pain. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, it's like a defense if mechanism. you don't let yourself believe you're going to have a baby yeah. from the beginning, that it won't be as hard if yeah. you lose that pregnancy. Exactly. And then after you had Brett. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so our son, uh, he was about nine months old and we weren't actively trying to get pregnant uh, and we weren't quite open to the idea yet of having uh, another baby. But we knew we wanted them to be close in age. Um, you know, if that was something that was in the cards and we got pregnant when he was nine months old and it was a surprise. But, you know, after I remember that text. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think what? it was actually when you guys were having the hootenanny. Oh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I texted you that day. Yes, it was. Yes. Um, so uh, we carried that pregnancy till just over uh, 10 weeks. And again, it was one of those things where it, it we were kind of blindsided by it. And I think that might sound naive to some of you listening, but we had carried to terms. So we're like, okay, we figured out how to keep me pregnant. Um, and I think too, not having the stress around trying to get pregnant, we were like, okay, you know, we've got this, we're going to have another baby. Um, and then we made it past the threshold of what we had known of loss, which was, I think the, the farthest we had carried was just over seven weeks. So at 10, we're like, oh, we're fine. We've got it. Right. Yeah. So, um, we ended up, uh, getting an ultrasound just after 10 weeks, which is our second one. We had already had, um, the dating and viability ultrasound, um, which was totally normal. Yes. Yep. It was totally normal. And, uh, just after 10 weeks got the second ultrasound because we weren't able to find fetal heart tones on the Doppler, which is not abnormal at, you know, at that time. Um, and when we went, we were told that the baby did not look to have grown to the point that it should be at 10 weeks gestation. And it didn't seem like a viable pregnancy at that point, uh, which threw in a new dynamic because we were faced with the, um, the decision of having to make, you know, is, are we going to wait for my body to naturally miscarry or are we going to have to try a different method of either like labor stems or medication to induce a loss um, and we were also going on vacation the next day for a week. Yes. When so. it rains, it pours. Yes. Exactly. Which um, is not what you were no. planning. No. Not at all. Listen, I definitely drank that week. Um, <laughs> um, especially, you know, after, you know, the, the stress of everything that we went through. Um, 
fortunately, but not fortunately, depending on the way you look at it, um, we didn't want to be faced with the decision of having to, you know, decide, are we going to try and, and induce this loss or is my body just going to do its thing? And, um, you know, take care of it naturally. And on the way down to the beach, um, I, I had already started spotting and then uh, I started noticing patterns of contractions, which were only noticeable because we had, you know, labored and delivered our son. So, uh, at that point I, you know, again, we're in the car and I had the support of, you know, our birth workers and our midwives and just asking them like, is this normal? Um, you know, sending them pictures and things like that. And not everybody has that support. So that was extremely comforting because the physical aspect of this loss versus the ones that happened earlier, it was, it was honestly traumatic. Like it was totally different. Yeah. You compared it to early, early, active labor. Mm -hmm. labor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, you know, again, we, I had already went through that. So I was able to kind of tie it into that when I was communicating with, um, with our midwife who, you know, who are sitting right here with me. (laughs) So I wanted to, I think like earlier when we were sharing that story, we wanted to speak to the fact that like miscarriages can often feel like labor. And I feel like that's something a lot of people don't realize is I think there's like this perception that miscarriages aren't going to be as painful or going to be easier. And in reality, like they can be very similar to labor. Um, Like I had a friend who had a loss around like 13 weeks, had a very similar experience as you. And I mean, I supported her in very much the same way I would have supported any of my clients in labor. So also just like when, like if women feel like, or if, yeah, if women feel like they aren't handling it well or that it's really difficult, it doesn't necessarily mean that something's wrong. Like, that must be such a scary feeling. But and just then know you, that that can who be do normal. You ask? Like, who do you talk to? Like Nicole was saying earlier, like, <laughs> what, what? The ER. Yeah, the just ER. Be told, go to the ER. Go to the ER. And they're like, yeah, this is normal. But there's, uh, yeah, but you were asking, like, then who does that responsibility fall on? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's no one's job. So who do you talk to? Yeah. In that moment, yeah, there's definitely a gap in care for yeah. those. And so, yeah, there's some of the some of the um, barriers that for support for early miscarriage too is that a lot of people haven't started care yeah. with somebody, and so they don't have anyone to go to. And there are, you know, and a lot of people haven't hired doulas yet to mm-hmm. go to. Um, so it's just kind of can it really take you unaware and then you really don't know who to go to for support or questions yeah. and the ER doesn't tend to be the most uh, emotionally <laughs> upbuilding or sensitive place so to like, go. Yeah, you lost a baby. This is mm-hmm. normal. Um, this isn't viable. Go home. You'll bleed and then it'll be done. Yeah. I've heard that story yes. multiple times that and then you're just like, oh, man, you're yeah. just left there. I had one woman ask if she could, if the doctor could help her without an exam because she had a history of assault and she just didn't Mm. want, and the doctor literally looked at her and goes, yeah, sure. I'll use my x-ray vision. No problem. And it's like, oh my God, not okay. So yeah, there's a gap. If she had gone home to have, to like handle her loss at home, nobody would have done an exam on her at home. And, and so for people that don't but for people that are feeling all these big feelings but the professionals that they go to don't 
make it seem like a big deal, it can make it more hush-hush. Like, I'm feeling this way, but I'm not supposed to be feeling this way, and I'm supposed to be moving on. It's not a big deal. I shouldn't be thinking about this with while I'm on my next pregnancy, and that's just not the reality of it, and that's why we need to bring more, um, shed more light on mm-hmm. this subject. Um, but I, before we go to break, because it's time to go to break, um, I just wanted to end out this first half because... You talked about how different in pain level your um, the earlier miscarriages yes. were versus the one that was a little bit later. But you had said about how even the ones that were more just like a heavy period. Can you speak about your emotions of all three, even though they were different experiences physically? Definitely. Um, you know, like I had said, it's not just the person going through the loss that's having the loss. You know, like if you have a partner um, or if it was a planned pregnancy or not, um, you know, my, my husband specifically, he was going through like he was grieving in his own way. But really, he was trying to support me. And I think that um, just emotionally, it's it's difficult. And even if you have the support of your partner or your friends mm-hmm. or your parents, at the end of the day, when it's just you or, you know, when you go to the bathroom and you're having to face reality that you are no longer pregnant, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, um, it's very emotional. And it's one of those things that you just have to grieve on it the, the best way that you personally can. And that's going to differ for everyone. Yeah. Um, for me, I internalized and that's not always the best thing. Uh, but for me, it just seems to be the best way to, uh, to cope with it. Yeah. So. And that might change as you get further in your process, too. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So I just wanted to reiterate that regardless of what your loss is like physically, we should never downplay what a person's going through emotionally anytime there's any kind of pregnancy loss. Um, So it's time to go to break. Um, And when we come back, we're going to share some more stories that people have shared with us and things that helped and didn't help and the emotions behind it all. I'm excited about the things that didn't help because I would like to avoid those. Yes. Forever. Go to break. Cue the music. Oh, yeah. So today's sponsor for our episode is Jesse Johnson owner of Gift of Grace. She is a bereavement doula located in Stephen City, Virginia. She is able to support you and your family during the difficult time of loss. Whether you're experiencing miscarriage, stillbirth, or a fatal diagnosis, she is there to help you navigate through troubled waters. Her goal is to make you feel safe, comforted, and protected while making you aware of all of your options and knowing what to expect during the birth and grieving process. She provides in-person support, support at a distance, resources, continued coaching sessions, and bereavement healing circles to the community. You are not alone in your loss of journey. If you would like to look up Jesse Johnson's information, you can find it at www.mamagivinggrace.com. Back to the episode. Welcome back from that delightful break. Nobody? So delightful. The most delightful. I ate cheese puffs. <laughs> Can we share what we were talking jerky? about, though? Yes. Maybe we should share some of those phrases. For a little bit of uh That last fun. one you said, I almost choked on my beef jerky. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys have ever watched the um, the SNL 
the the series where it's about like they they're the three people that have gotten abducted by aliens and so they're being interviewed by the Pentagon <laughs> and oh my god what is her name I can't remember her name now but she's always thinking of like different names for her like vagina and her butthole so she's like I landed <laughs> I landed face up with my cooter and my poop shooter hanging out or my hump me and my dump me <laughs> Or my baby, du- my baby tunnel and my poop funnel. <laughs> what about the taco and choco? My taco and my choco. <laughs> so, yeah, you should definitely check that out if you need a good laugh. Um, well, I don't have to watch it now. You just told me the best part. <laughs> So in this half of the episode... I'm not watching anything with you until you watch Legend with me. Because I still have Olivia's movie. Shut your face. You shut your face. That was a gift. You will watch it because these are only a few minutes long. Fine. All right, moving on. Um, so in this half of the episode, we're going to focus more on the common threads people have gone through and also the emotional, the emotions that people go through when they um, are ha- experiencing miscarriage and loss. And what helps and what doesn't. I think just as me, I got something right now. I think she's like in a Cheeto coma or something <laughs> because she's struggling right now. It's a sun And we're not coma, even drinking. it's because I'm not drinking. I'm used to doing this under the influence of alcohol, and I'm not under Actually, the influence of alcohol. during our break, we talked a lot about like things that people We basically did said. our episode that we should have recorded. Right, but the thing is, I haven't heard anything that helps. We've just been making fun of things that don't help. Uh, no. They shared some stuff that did help, oh. um, which well, I wrote down some stuff. You're okay. welcome. You're, thank you. What can I say except <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit, because, um, Nicole, I think that you can speak to this, too, about some of the things that actually cause miscarriage and some of the things that do not cause miscarriage. So I first wanted to go over some of the things that definitely do not cause miscarriage. But I feel like when people are experiencing loss, um, it can be really hard to get explanations for Mm -hmm. why. And so one of the people had brought up in the information they sent that there was never any explanations. And so she blamed herself for the losses or blamed her body for the losses. And there's always like that, what could we have done differently Mm -hmm. to prevent this from happening? Yeah, I I mean, I feel like that's that's some sort of a defense mechanism, right? Like when when you go through something, you're always going to question what you could have done differently, even if there's literally nothing that you could have done differently. Um, And I feel like that's a part of grieving um, and a part of loss in general. And I mean, I've personally went through it and I've blamed myself, um, you know, when I've been alone, when I've been. Uh, with my husband, I've told him, you know, like it's, it's awful. Isn't it terrible? Like that you're with me and that like, I'm sorry that mm-hmm. I'm doing this to us. And obviously in my lighter times, I know that it's not, I'm not doing anything to yeah. him or to me or, or, you know, to our family to make this not happen. Like I'm doing everything that I possibly can, um, to have success in this and to be able to grow our family. But it's just one of those things where we have to blame someone. And yeah. if we can't find answers medically, then we're going to blame ourselves. Yeah. I, and I heard that a lot in the um, emails that were sent. Um, somebody else said that, like, because of it, she felt like she she had failed not only herself, but she failed her husband, that she had failed her family um, because 
like mm. it was her job to carry the babies yeah. and she wasn't carrying the babies and so that feeling of failure can be super heavy to people and so talking about some of the things that we can't blame what were you gonna say <laughs> you're just like on a roll right now so it's always like uh. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I feel uh. like what you said earlier too is really important was like you said there's like some really dark days where like you know that the th- like you're 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 blaming your body like you're blaming yourself that you know like isn't the reality but like on those dark days like those are just the thoughts that are dominating your mind at the time and one of the people who wrote and said like sometimes you just need permission to like embrace those dark moments like instead of just suppressing them and pretending like they don't exist and not giving them space just because you know that they aren't like the reality doesn't mean that they shouldn't be given space so you can like hopefully in time move past them move through so i think that's really important is like you don't have to like let like information or research or like reality to find how you mourn or grieve this Mm -hmm. process like you have to give that stuff space too yeah I think it's so my friend Katrina gave me this she gave me a several little cards and when I was going through a hard time and one of them said it's okay to feel that so she's like it doesn't matter what the feeling is and it was it was grief but it wasn't for pregnancy grief but it was for other grief And she was like, the most important thing is to allow yourself to feel that feeling for however long, a day, two days. But then you have to process it and then be okay afterwards. But it's so important to feel anything that comes in. You have to give it some space. Feel it before you move on. Otherwise, it just gets buried deeper inside and never into a hole. Into our deep pit. Deep, dark hole. Kim's next book, The Hole. (laughs) In my next book, The Hole. Also, like, um, venting does feel good. Also, being able whole. to say, like, fuck this, right? Like, this fucking sucks. And, like, not feeling sorry about feeling that way. Like, I remember when we were, like, texting about your situation. I remember that text where I was, like, Mother Nature's a fucking bitch sometimes. Yeah. And I felt really self conscious sending that because, like, that's a really helpless message. Like, that's not a hopeful message. Um, but, like, I think sometimes that's just, like, what people need to feel and, like, hear. I'm sorry. I did the same thing. I was like, this is stupid and it sucks and the universe oh, isn't no. fair at all. <laughs> I think, uh, like, I mean, just hearing that, like, it sucks and that other people acknowledge that it sucks and that they're kind of, you know, handling that grief and that loss with you. I, I mean, it can be a comforting, a comforting, a comforting thing to hear. So let's talk about some of the things that definitely don't cause miscarriage. So um, a big one is that sex does not cause miscarriage. My husband definitely thought that might be the case, especially after having a couple of losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pregnancy with our son, um, I mean, bless him, he didn't. Even after hearing from Kim, she was our midwife at the time, <laughs> that sex is not going to hurt the baby. No man has a penis big enough to hurt the baby. Yeah. <laughs> and he I was like, yes, I do. And so I was like, never seen so. this. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> rabbit hole um yeah so that definitely does not cause pregnancy loss no also despite what we think like stress people say that stress and and you know what i think that stress when it causes mental you know turmoil maybe it does maybe it can contribute but stress or someone jumping out at you causing a fright and scaring you that is not the kind of thing that causes a miscarriage Exercise and running is another big one. I have a lot of clients who say they regret that they ran when they were in the early pregnancy when they have a loss. And, like, 
you like the message is like if you have a practice of exercising before you're pregnant like you should continue to do that um and you shouldn't feel guilt for continuing to do that i've heard that a lot especially if you they had just had like a hard run or something before right before they started to realize that they were losing their pregnancy and so it's like what you were saying like i need something to blame Um, like you said earlier like or maybe last time we recorded like you ate the wrong thing or you you drank the wrong thing or some just like very like specific things that you're just basically finding a reason to hold on to because there might not be a real reason i've also heard that air travel and spicy food can cause miscarriage but i don't think that's true i don't think so either I really don't. Um, I've done the research on the air travel, and there's not a lot of research to show that that's a thing. I think in late pregnancy, you're at higher risk for a blood clot if you're not moving for hours and hours on end and you're dehydrated. Mm -hmm. Because that is still common in late pregnancy, which we'll talk about, that people aren't allowed to fly past a certain like time but um that's like one of my dreams though is to be able to do a birth on an airplane i know and i think that's more of the reason why is they don't want people to have to give birth on an airplane no twice twice on an airplane someone has been like is there a medical provider and chuck like looks at me and i'm like don't you fucking dare i had absolutely not unless there's a baby coming out of a flight yeah no that's never happened to me nope unless there's a baby coming out of a vagina i am not a medical worker at all i stood up very slowly I was so, so I was like waiting for someone else to stand up first. <laughs> Anyone at all. So let's talk about some of the things that can cause miscarriage. I think that from my understanding, one of the most common reasons why very early miscarriages happen is that there is something chromosomally wrong with That's the, the majority egg. of miscarriage. That's all the ones that we don't know about. That's like over half of... And I think that's also contributes to the blighted ovums or the chemical pregnancies. Yeah. All of that w- is essentially just the chromosomes did not line up and your body knows it. So you miscarry. So the baby's not going to right. develop I feel like we correctly. Yeah. Talk about that all like a lot where it's like the when you look at like the process of conception and the cell division that occurs and all the things that have to line up like chemically to like to have a pregnancy. It's insane that it doesn't happen more often because it's such like a complex system yeah I just I think it does I think three out of four pregnancies like I was told in the very beginning like they probably do end in miscarriage we just don't know it you know it can happen right away the egg can conceive and then or fertilize and then immediately it's just like nope not perfect moving on and uh, something else that gets talked about a lot is that um, the mother's hormones need to line up correctly as well to for uh, her body to hold a pregnancy and I think this is one that gets so tricky emotionally because number one I've had a lot of people that you know have trouble producing progesterone early in pregnancy Um, and it can be really tough because it can be hard to find a provider to help diagnose that and then even if you do get diagnosed with it it can be hard to find a provider who's willing to like subscribe progesterone to help you keep a pregnancy um, until after a certain amount of losses Um, it was really interesting to read the handout that you got from your reproductive medicine provider um, because they have a section on progesterone deficiency and I feel like that's becoming more and more common in our field is you're seeing more and more women having progesterone supplementation early in pregnancy to protect pregnancies and I feel like anecdotally we do have a lot of moms sharing 
that it's helpful. And I did a lot of research with your pregnancy to see whether or not that was a choice, a good choice. And there's still like so much gray area around mm-hmm. progesterone supplementation. And it actually is becoming more common globally, even though the research is still pretty gray. But on this handout, it actually says that like a very small percentage of pregnancy loss is due to yeah. progesterone insufficiency. And it's yeah. actually very hard. Like the research shows it's very hard to prove that, that, it's, because of that. it's because of that. Yeah. So if you do find that out and that was part of what like we had thought what could have been a contributing factor in some of your losses. But I, you know, hearing this common thread of people that like my body failed me, like why can't I hold a pregnancy like you had spoken to that um during our break um feeling that way at points because of your losses yeah definitely um I mean because again at the end of the day if you don't have a reason medically that you've been diagnosed with who else are you supposed to blame like technically the baby was in my body you know whatever you want to call it at that point um and I lost it. Right. I mean, even if it's not something that I did purposely to cause it, like something in my body or, you know, sperm and egg didn't whatever you want to call it. I mean, you have to blame someone. And you were talking about how you had those days where you're like, I hate my body. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I didn't necessarily have those feelings after the first loss, but after multiple, it's like, okay, I like, I'm tired of doing this. I've paid my, my debt, if you will, you know, statistically, I guess. So at this point it's just like, okay, what else is there to do? I've, I've went to a fertility clinic. I've done all the things and still no answers. How many vials of blood did they (laughs) take from your body? Um, I had 15 tests done. That was outside of the initial blood blood work and I think um it was 13 or 14 tubes I think four of those were like the bigger tubes um that was all at once and as Kim can can confirm I'm not the easiest tick <laughs> Jess would disagree but <laughs> Jess I will say Jess got me on the first try yes she did I'm not just an expert podcaster <laughs> no she she duos as I was so terrified I brought her to your house you did and then yeah. I missed it because I'm like because you sweating. were sweating I'm sweating profusely I'm gonna die I miss your vein and Jess is like uh it's right here boom and she I'm did. like thanks doula I don't even think I've had a phlebotomist no, do that that's vein doula too. that is not because I'm a doula I actually worked for years at a doctor's office and so I had to draw blood on 20 people a day or more every day for like five years well you've so still got it girl you still we have, have a client like that's really hard stick so i'm just gonna keep that in my back pocket um so thank you so weren't you like apologizing at one point to jared like i'm so sorry yeah definitely like i'm fault. sorry that i'm sorry that like you've got this quality i don't even know if you'd call it a quality like this abnormality in a partner you know like uh, you sure. married a dud yes that's but you are not feeling. a dud and I mean obviously in any way there are a lot of days where I'm like no I don't believe that but there are some times where I'm like I absolutely believe that and I has that thought I've questioned has that thought ever crossed his mind like man I really wish that you know this wasn't something that we were going through or is he you know kind of projecting that onto me instead and being like you know it sucks that she isn't capable uh, as capable i guess as some people might be so i mean he's never said That's those things so to me awful yeah. though it's to, to live with yeah. and you know i know we know everyone knows he doesn't feel that way sure. he's madly no. in love with you yeah. but 
or to you, go I mean, through that is I feel like men on their darkest days just like you have irrational thoughts mm-hmm. about your own body on your darkest days it might cross their mind on their darkest days when sure. they're grieving in their own way mm-hmm. um, but they know that that's not true and, but I think that there also is a lot of research coming out that it's that it's not just the woman who is responsible for no, yeah. like the quality of sperm like they've talked about um, babies having higher risks of different like diseases or problems like if yeah. you um, are having a baby with a smoker or like uh-huh. all those genes are in the sperm as well that can cause a problem yeah. chromosomally so um, yeah like and like what a lot of people were saying is that usually there's never any explanation yeah. and that is so so hard. that's the hardest part yeah that would be that would mm-hmm. be for me the hardest part like if someone could sure. look at me and say because of this reason, you can't yeah. have any more kids. Okay. It provides some sort of closure. Some sort of closure. Or some sort of like a, if you do have something that you can work on, um, like you right. know, if you have to have some sort of supplementation or you have to change diet or some sort of a, a hormone supplement, uh, you know, you have something to work towards. You, right. you have an answer. But, yeah. but when there's no answer. And so when it comes to things like progesterone levels in pregnancy, Sometimes I wonder, like with Billy Rubin and babies, like, is there such a grand range that we don't typically look at that is normal? Mm -hmm. So maybe having lower progesterone, yes, we know not having progesterone causes miscarriage, like obviously, but maybe there's a larger range than we know of. Maybe your level is normal, but we wouldn't typically look at it unless you are having a miscarriage and it just so happens. You know what I'm saying? Right. And this does in the research that I had done in the past kind of reiterated, like it's not beneficial to do like pre-pregnancy levels because they're not right. reflective of no. like what your levels in pregnancy are going to be. And so it's really like, well, we might never know that because like if we don't aren't able to have a baseline, then it's not like you can like build off of that to really know. And no one cares enough to do the the research you know what i mean like right now all the covid and the vaccines and all that is making billions of dollars so Mm -hmm. if we put that amount of money into researching why the hell all of these miscarriages are happening especially right now i feel like there would be an answer but it takes money and it takes time and most people just aren't willing to put that in and like you were saying when you went to the doctor to try and figure it out Mm -hmm. like if you didn't have insurance, the amount of money yeah. you would have spent oh my and gosh. still not had an answer. Yeah. Like some people just don't, they can't do that. They no. don't have access to that. Um, mm-hmm. And so for them, they just have to be, I think I'll never know. Out of pocket if insurance wouldn't have helped cover. And honestly, you go into it kind of blind on how much insurance is going to cover just because it's such a... Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just one of those things where insurance like, is, is still it necessary? With it. If it's not exactly. necessary, we Medically don't have to cover necessary. it. Don't even get me started. It would have been, I think, a little over six or seven thousand um, dollars just to go through and, and still find out that we don't know what's causing yeah. the losses. So, and even that whole process it can be so stressful. Sure, that yeah. some people don't even want to go through that process i'm not even you but when when you sent that text that everything was normal Mm -hmm. i was like what the fuck i don't know what i said but it was something like what the fuck or like that's fucking annoying i think that may have been my exact line when i got off of the phone with our fertility doctor yeah yes yeah what do you do so are there any other like causes that we wanted to talk about that. Yeah, so there are co- there are 
So statistically, if you are like, if you're gestationally diabetic or a diabetic in general, like you have a much higher risk. There are risks. There's like um, hematologic disorders that can contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're smoking, but which is weird to me because we've had smokers in care and their babies are fine, but they're saying obesity, smoking, large amounts of caffeine, like large, large amounts of caffeine, large amounts of alcohol. But to me, that's all like maybe that could cause. I know for a fact or that contribute that could cause, be, contribute. right, right. But infection, so HIV, chlamydia, gonorrhea, going untreated, syphilis, malaria, bacteria, vaginosis. Believe it or not, um, CMV, all of these things going untreated can definitely cause a miscarriage. UTIs, UTIs. So yeah, infection. So if you are hypertensive, if you have lupus, kidney disease, thyroid issues. So if you're a high risk individual across the board and you're seeing someone, then then your likelihood of miscarriage is obviously going to be higher than a non-high risk person. But for someone like you, Nicole, there's no effing reason. And we just don't know. That are easier to diagnose. Like for people who have like abnormalities of their uterus, like their uterine shape is yes. different. Or yes. sperm count. Like we haven't really talked a lot about like how a men's like sperm can also contribute as well. I mean, we're totally glazing over this whole, we yeah, could do a whole episode on this. But yeah. like, yes, fibroid, uterine fibroids. Thyroid problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, just there are a ton of possible causes yeah. and some are easier to diagnose than others. But none of those things make it any easier when you go. No. So one of the common threads that ran through was like people being able to accept the negative emotions they were feeling and allow themselves to get it out. Like, um, and a lot of people, they do try to not do that because they think they should act a certain way or people are telling them they should act a certain way. So just like people... Some people said, like, it just helps so much to be able to have somebody that I could just vent to Mm -hmm. and yell and scream and say life isn't fair and say that I hate everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And to know that you're not weak if you do that. Like, you Mm -hmm. are allowed to say those things, and it helps you to get them out. It's okay to feel like your body failed you. It's okay to blame yourself. Um and it it really can help you to do that and if somebody is if somebody is doing that with you that's going through loss mm-hmm. i feel like we have a tendency um to try and fix it so if somebody's yeah. like life is unfair and i hate everything we tend to be no like, no no everything's okay well let's think about something brighter or maybe we can try this when really yeah. usually all those people need is just validation that yeah. this sucks right now yeah. and that it's okay um to be mad and to be angry. Um, I'm probably jumping a little bit, but one of the Jesse who wrote in was saying that when she was pregnant, she sought out a birth team that had experience with loss Mm -hmm. because they had a foundation of understanding so that it was a safe space for her to like vent her feelings and like feel really validated in her emotions. And so like we talk about choosing your birth team all the time. But if that's something that's really important to you, like there are people out there who have more experience than others with loss and supporting people through that. So know that that's another option for you as well. Another common thread that ran throughout was that um, everyone that wrote in said they still think about those babies, even after having more kids. um, They still think about what those babies would have been like, what they would have looked like. 
Um, having a healthy baby does not make the babies that you lost go away or that you didn't have that experience. Um, so then when they're like, oh, how many kids do you have? Like, mm-hmm. how do you answer that? Right. That was also a common thread someone wrote in. They're like, that's so awkward because people ask that question all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like the PC answer is to be like, oh, I have two kids. But for somebody who's gone through that grief, they can see themselves as having five kids, you know, like two here and three and yeah, whatever right. your belief is. And right. I do know people like that will be like, I have two kids here and three in yeah. heaven. But then other people are like, that feels awkward and people don't know what to say yeah. about it. And so there was that common thread that if they don't tell people about the children that mm-hmm. they lost, that they're somehow doing them misjustice or that they never yeah. existed and then feeling guilt for that. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, that that brought up something that like I personally have went through um, when in public somebody asks you, even a complete stranger or, you know, somebody that you're friends with, whatever, how many kids you have if, you know, you're just meeting them and you say, I, I would say one, you know, I have one, I have one child. But when I go in for an ultrasound for like my next pregnancy, it would be like, how many pregnancies have you had? And yeah. I would answer yes. six. Yes. Like, that's, that's It's insane. completely different. It's, yeah. 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 Um, so then another common theme that um, I saw was that it's so important to surround yourself with people who can help you and to let yourself grieve through it. S- like you were saying, sometimes it feels easier at the time to pretend it's not happening, to just move yeah. on, to not. And that can be part of the grieving process. Um, but people were saying that it doesn't go away like until you get it out and experience it yeah. that it's still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um I I definitely agree with that. Like everybody, I don't want to say everybody, but I feel like it's one of those things where people kind of forget and like move past it, but you know, like me personally, I'm I've still I'm going through it and I mean even in my pregnancy with my son that we have I was still grieving those first two losses that we had and I still do and in different ways. Um, I mean, obviously that season of life specifically with each Mm -hmm. of them was different and really difficult. And, you know, we, we live in our current season, right? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that we forget the ones that we've already went through. You said in the beginning half of the episode about how, um, when you did get pregnant with your son, um, who is here Mm -hmm. that you didn't, necessarily feel emotionally ready to bond with him and I feel like that's something that a lot of people could yeah place a lot of guilt on themselves yeah or um do you have any words for how or like or when you did start bonding Mm -hmm. or did did you not until the birth um I I feel like it would just depend on the day that you asked me but I remember the first 15 weeks specifically um our families would talk to me about, you know, the pregnancy and my husband would. And every single time someone would ask me a question or be like, how are you feeling? Or like, are you excited to find out what you're having? I would completely shut down the conversation and I wouldn't allow myself to talk about it with them. Um, and of course, you know, like when I was alone or whatever, I'd be like, I'd, you know, like look at my belly that was growing and I'm like, Oh look, you know, there's, there's a baby in there. Um, and until, 
we went and found out that we were having a boy and um, and that was right around 20 weeks it right? was he was i think just under 16 weeks when we went and oh. found out that we were having a boy okay and kind of like the way of apologizing to our families for not letting them have like a happy experience with us being pregnant just because i couldn't personally yeah i invited them all to come along with us to find out what we were having um just to kind of help them how feel interesting connected. that you felt like you owed yeah other it's just my type of person. Yeah, you <laughs> felt like you owed yeah. someone else mm -hmm. something yeah. because of the loss that you experienced. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I mean, even after that, it still didn't feel quite real. Um, and I don't think I allowed myself to connect and feel bonded with him until after 20 weeks. And even then, it was still at a distance. And um, not even until after he was probably like two or three days old did I feel like, holy shit, this is my he's baby. He's actually here. And he's mine, and he's healthy, and, I, you know, I did it. We did it, yeah. you know? And that's correct. Like, I feel sad about that now, but I can't, I can't beat myself up about that too much no. because that's the way I was feeling then. But it's just, it's so, it's the theme, though. Like, women in labor will apologize to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I just threw up. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I just yelled at you. Like, and then you to your family. I'm so sorry yeah. that yeah. I experienced these losses. Like you, it's just, that's how women are. We just, we just feel that we need to be strong enough for the, the people around us yeah. instead of just for what we're going through, and, you yeah. know? And I think that's why it's so important to shed light on this because someone who didn't know that it's okay to feel those things. Yeah it can help them to be like, you know what? Let me just own this grief. Let me just own yeah. this anger. And that's another one that I came across um, was people feeling angry. And Absolutely. people don't like to feel angry. Like either angry at like other people that they see that have had kids when you yeah. couldn't. Or if you see people that aren't good parents. I left a cart full of groceries in Walmart one time yeah. because there was a woman walking towards me that was pregnant. And mm -hmm. I was like, nope. Yeah. Left and my you car just and left. walked straight out and went into the oh, car and cried just oh because it was, but then, you know, I've got so many friends that have been pregnant when we're experiencing losses and, and I don't, I'm not mad at them. Yeah. I'm mad that that's not me. And, and that's, that's a hard okay. thing to separate. Yeah. But, but that's okay. Yeah. Like that's a normal, that's such a normal feeling. Yeah. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And then there was the anger, like, um, you talked about a little bit, but I also got an email about it, about, like, I can't have babies. I feel like I'm disappointing people, but also, why does that person who, when I'm yeah. looking at them, doesn't seem to appreciate their kid or doesn't yeah. seem like a good parent, why do they deserve babies yeah. more than I deserve babies? Yeah. And, I mean, that's just one of those things where I feel like everyone has their own way of grieving and processing and... You know, I've seen plenty of people that have a bunch of kids who are like, this was an accident child. And I mean, if we would have been able to carry to term with our pregnancy when Brett was nine months old, that would have been technically considered an accident because we weren't trying to get pregnant at the time. But I mean, it's just crazy. It's it's crazy when you see people say, you know, like, oh, my gosh, we must be really fertile because it only took us one month. And yeah. I'm, I'm happy for them. I'm happy that you didn't have to go through the things that that I've went through. I'm I'm happy for you and I wouldn't wish them on anyone. But it doesn't mean that I'm not. Yeah. 
frustrated or angry towards that, and but that's not me. It's also okay to feel mad when it's the person who doesn't want any more kids, and they're yeah. like, every time sperm touches my vagina, I get pregnant, and I yep. hate this. Yeah. Like, it's okay to feel angry oh about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there are people that have the opposite experience, yeah. and it's like, and don't appreciate mm-hmm. what they have. Um, somebody wrote something that I wanted to quote. Um that I thought was so beautiful because we're talking about all this like grief and sadness and anger, but somebody wrote in, um, she said, I feel lucky to have held her beating heart within my body, even for the short time that it was there. So that can be another side to it of Mm -hmm. like also grateful that you had those babies or those pregnancies while you had them, even though there's all that grief and sadness on the other Mm -hmm. end of not getting to keep them. Absolutely. Our second pregnancy, it was very short-lived. I think we were between five and six weeks, and we had been trying, like I'd said earlier, for for such a long time to have a a to-term pregnancy, and even just having that couple of weeks where we were like oh my gosh we're pregnant Mm -hmm. it was just enough room to breathe and to have the hope and to be like I I'm so happy that we had that two weeks to to have almost like a reset and a refresher Mm -hmm. and not just the continued stress of trying to get pregnant trying to get pregnant um and it's not it's not a way to live like not healthily anyway yeah it's not fun it's very hard. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to move on to if you're trying to support somebody who's going through loss, what are some of the things? Yes. That what you can we do? Like what? I see. I see more things that say. do not help. Yeah. Can you read that quote that I asked you to from yes. the email that we got about um, because we've we've talked so much about how some people have that support in place. And then other people don't. So in this story, this was her first loss. She had not had um, a relationship with, like, midwives or anybody. Um, So start from where she said, like, she was just told you're having a miscarriage. So she says, Jesse says, I was then told that I was miscarrying and sayings like, you're young, you can try again. Or this happens to more than you think. Or I know this is shocking, but at least it was early. Or be thankful for the child that you already have. You can just try again. All ring to my ears as the weight of, lo- of losing our babies was setting in. I was then given a handout, told to follow up with my primary co- primary provider and sent out the door like I was being treated for a broken toe. The weeks that followed were extremely overwhelming, not knowing what to expect physically, mentally, and emotionally. Feelings of guilt, fear, doubt, anger, sadness, and so much more consumed my life as I was expected to just go about life as normal. None of my friends had experienced this type of loss, and none of my family really knew how to handle the situation. I was very alone, and it was a very lonely time. So, and so many of the emails had people who have said those things to them, like, right. you're young, you can try again, um, saying, it's okay, you got pregnant once, you can get pregnant again. You have two healthy kids now, so you don't need to think about the ones that mm-hmm. you lost. Like, you can see where people are. They're trying to help. Or, like, for you, Nicole, like, you have Brett, but yeah. that doesn't help what you don't have, Mm-mm. right? No, I mean, uh, literally, our, our most traumatic loss happened after we had him. Um, and, you know, still, we... we 
we really want to grow our family. We want to have more kids. And we've even talked about having like more than two. So it's like, okay, if we can't even get to the point right now, if it's so difficult to even have a second, it feels like the the goal and the want for our family is just completely unattainable. And I mean, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be. It just seems that way in the current mm-hmm. season. So. And so anything that's not validating of what a person's going through is something that you shouldn't say or anything that takes away from the fact that this is real loss. Yeah, like when you were on vacation and you're you're experiencing a loss in a gas station and then someone's saying, well, at least you have a baby. Yeah. That doesn't make that moment in that gas station like, oh, you're right. You know what? No. Yeah, that's fine. What I'm happy. What's happening right now? That's fine. Mm-hmm. Why am I even upset? Like, no, it fe- it's it's minimizing. And of course, you know, it, it might be something that somebody's trying to say to provide comfort and like a space of hope, I guess. Um, obviously, the intentions aren't ill, but the the way that it can come across is is definitely as such. Yeah, it's not on ill. And sometimes no. I feel like it's because um uncomfortable emotions make those people feel uncomfortable yeah. and so sometimes it's like I don't know how to handle this uncomfortable emotion so I'm gonna say something that makes me feel better about it and I feel like you spoke to this a little bit too where like your partner might grieve in a different way than you and someone wrote in about this as well they said that um my partner was grieving too in a different way and it made it hard for him to be what I needed. And so it's like finding that balance in your relationship of acknowledging what your partner is going through, but also like recognizing that you might need something different than what they're offering you in that moment. And even though like at some point you will probably come together to share your grief together, like in the immediate moment, you might need the space to do that for yourself mm-hmm. or seeking out support from a different source who might be able to understand in a different way and like not feeling guilty about that and like not having, you know, hoping that your partner can understand that and create space for that. Um, and then somebody else shared their experience of having postpartum depression after a miscarriage or after several miscarriages and that the people that were surrounding her, um, actually told her uh, you are just making it up and you just need to get over it Um, which just like telling somebody to get over something doesn't help them get over it just like telling someone that they are acting crazy doesn't make them stop acting crazy like people need to be able to have their feelings validated to move through them so then what are some of the things we can do Know that if someone shares with you that they had a loss, that that's not something easy to share and that you are a trusted space and that um, this isn't about you. It's about them. Um, So I feel like less advice is better and just listen. That's my listen and mirror back and validate and let that person do or say whatever they need to do or say. And let the person who's grieving set the tone. Um, like, I feel like we haven't really spoken to the fact that there are, like, for some, like, I feel like when we are, like, supporting people who have had a loss, it's really hard to know, like, do we share joy with them? Like, especially as birth workers, like, what mm-hmm. if you have a loss as a birth worker? Like, um, 
is attending a birth going to impact you in a specific way? And like the uh, someone wrote in about this where it was like actually it was positive for them to be able to attend people because it kind of allowed them to put their grief on hold and to celebrate another person's joy for a while. And so I'm not saying that's always the right thing to do. Like there's some people who would have like a really hard time holding space for that. And that's not a bad thing at all. That's a very, very understandable place to be in in life. But recognizing that for some people, if they're setting the tone of like, no, I want to celebrate with you. Like, I want to experience this joy with you. Like, that's okay. Like, our client whose best friend had a loss and the whole pregnancy, she was so stressed about like how her pregnancy was impacting her friend who had a loss. Right, right. When in reality, it felt, I truly felt like her friend wanted to be a part of her journey with her and that it was healing in some ways. Well, what did you feel, Nicole? Like, what, what was helpful for you, if anything? Um, I mean, obviously this will differ for everyone, but just to wrote off a few things that, you know, I've heard, um, through our experiences, um, your baby and, or your pregnancy mattered. Um, I mean, I just feel like that creates space to let someone know that what they're feeling and what they went through and that baby specifically mattered. Um, how can I give you space and comfort to heal? And that opens the door for the person going through what they're going through to, to let you know, like what they need. And then just a super simple, I'm here for you when, and if you feel like talking about it and then maybe just checking in on them, but not, I don't know. I don't want to say like the disingenuine, like, Hey, how are you doing today? Um, and then like talking about it right after that, um, I don't know the new running shoes you want to buy or something like that. You know what I mean? Like just being a genuine friend or like somebody who genuinely cares. And I'm not saying that you can't be friends with them. And like every conversation that you have to have with them has to be surrounding what they're going through, but just reminding them when you're thinking about them, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Like that's okay. And I think something simple too, because some people at some points aren't going to want to talk about it over and over again. But I feel like a lot of people, just knowing that you matter and the baby mattered. Yeah. So even something simple like sending a card and saying, mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking about you, I'm thinking about your baby, and I'm sad for you. Yeah. Um, just n- letting them know that what they are yeah. going through. Like, it's not intrusive, but yeah. it's a, hey, uh, remember that I am here thinking yeah. about you. Flowers, yeah. chocolate, you know, like wine <laughs> wine um a meal like yeah if they don't feel like talking drop a meal off on the doorstep with a card that's like i'm so sorry for what you're yeah. going through and i'm here if you need me um yeah. so that it gives them space to to grieve on their own if that's mm-hmm. what they need but also an open door that i am here if you feel like you want or need more support yeah and i mean even if it's not something that they've been through previously just knowing that they did create that space to you know for you to talk to them they don't have to be able to relate for you to talk to them about it if that's you know so having someone say i know exactly what you're going through yes that's not something how is that how is that helpful Um, i will say in your to you uh for my from my experiences that was one of one of the words, I mean, there are tons of things that are unhelpful that, again, people might not mean anything by them, but saying, you know, exactly, 
what I'm going through. I've, I've had countless people say that. And just because they've experienced a loss does not mean that it was the same exact thing in the same exact place, same exact situation at all. You or know, that I didn't know. You feel the same no, way. No, yeah. I mean, I didn't go through what they went through and they didn't go through what I went through. And hearing that is not comforting. I'm sure that's the intent, but it is honestly, I think it, yeah, it creates yeah. more harm than good. Um, and it sounds more centered, I centered than yes. you centered. Yeah. So it's making it about you and not I yeah. is always better. Um, because sometimes that is val- wanting validation mm-hmm. for their experience. Yeah. Um, but it's not the time or place for that unless yeah. you get to a place together where you sure. want to share those things. Um, so, yeah. Kind of like a new doula going through their birth. Yeah. When they're trying to doula someone else. Exactly. It's not the right when time. When I was doing this, when no. I was it. And also, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. No. So, we need to start wrapping it up, but let's go through just one more time. All of your experiences matter. Do you have anything else you wanted to say? You were looking for um, No, I was just looking. I had some notes here. Um, I love that you have notes. Yeah, just some things that, you know, were, were not helpful. Like, stop stressing and then it'll happen. I know exactly what you're going through, which we already touched on. At least you already have a baby. I um, can't. Why would anyone say that? Yeah. Uh, thank goodness it happened early. Yeah. Like that. I mean, physically, yes. I, I get that, but like mentally, it doesn't doesn't change emotionally. Anything. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't change anything. So, yeah, to like sum it all up, everybody experiences their loss and their grief differently, mm-hmm. and it's not a competition of whose loss is more, whose loss is greater, yeah. whose is less. Um, which sometimes it gets turned into that. So, if you know someone who suffered loss, being aware of that is so so helpful mm-hmm. and just listen the little things matter yeah. just listen well and jesse jesse also pointed out that like that the, what made it easiest not easy but helpful for her was being in a community that she had helped build yeah. in a community mm-hmm. that recognized loss for what it was like mm-hmm. maybe if you're even if you've never been pregnant before like now start looking for your community yeah so yeah. as nicole pointed out like she happened to have our numbers so yeah she could text us and we could yeah. say normal not normal maybe not everyone can have that but yeah there's um, got to be a community for everyone that can help somebody through something and then i can't stress enough that even for people that don't have that community and no one around there them understands like um Grief doulas um, can make such a big difference in filling mm-hmm. in that gap. So it's never too early to seek out a grief doula if you are going through a loss. Um, they want to help, and it's a very important role to help you go through what you're going through. Yeah. So for all those, all the people out there who have went through loss, all those people out there who want to help support people through loss – just want to say that we see you and you're important and your babies are important and, and we hope that our just the tip episode helped in some way yeah and your feelings are valid and you're allowed to feel whatever you want yes you are and the only other thing that we have to say is cheers cheers, cheers.